everyone. Welcome back to Cancer Actually Fucking Sucks. I'm your host, Maddie Pollack, and today's guest is Peyton Adams, an ovarian cancer survivor passionate about spreading awareness on proactive healthcare practices for young adults. Welcome back to Cancer Actually Fucking Sucks. Hi, Peyton. Welcome. Hi, I'm so excited to be here. So excited to have you. Thank you for reaching out. Um, I can't wait for you to share your story. And you had ovarian cancer this past summer, is that right? Yes, that was when I was diagnosed, yes. Okay. And how long have you had no evidence of disease? Um, my most recent scan was mid-March, so... Um, wow. Really recently, but Very I... recent. Mm-hmm. That's amazing. Congratulations. I'm super excited. Um, it, was, yeah. it was a big relief to get that news, so... I'm, I mean, the best feeling, the scariest feeling leading up to it, and then the absolute best feeling in the world. Exactly, yeah. Oh, good. That makes me so happy. Um, well, I guess we can start with um, the beginning of kind of this whole process, like where you were at in your life, how old you were slash are, and all that good stuff. Okay, yeah. Um, I'm trying to think where to start. Well, it all kind of started um, my junior year of college. I I had switched my birth control pills and I kind of just noticed some changes with that, which is pretty typical. Um, I even my doctors about it. I was like, like, Oh, I lost like five pounds and you know, my period is, is a little bit irregular. Is this okay? And they're like, you know, it's totally normal. It's just hormonal changes. Mm -hmm. Um, really nothing to worry about. And so I just was like, okay, yeah. I mean, they're the doctor, so I'm just going to believe them. Yeah, of course. Um, and so then, I ended up studying abroad that summer, and while I was oh. abroad, so was this. Sorry, so this was two summers ago then that you started yeah. having mm-hmm. some symptoms. Okay, yeah. So and then while I was studying abroad, um, I just felt really tired all the time, and I had thought maybe it was just you know my life had changed a little bit. Um, you know, I was walking three miles a day. I was eating different foods, all this kind of stuff. So I didn't really think anything of it and then when my mom had came out to visit me while I was abroad we were gonna travel a little bit after she the first thing she noticed was that I had lost a bit of weight and so Mm. she was a little bit concerned about that and I just contributed it to just like you eat a little bit healthier in Europe you know things aren't processed yeah and I was walking everywhere I went we didn't have a car right you're moving a lot more yeah exactly so I was like okay well you know nothing to worry about there um, and then when I got back from abroad, this was the beginning of the fall term of my senior year, okay. all my friends were commenting on my weight. They're like, oh, mm. like, you really lost a lot of weight, kind of. And like, at first, it didn't really bother me. But then it became something that everyone was commenting on. And it was just like such a mm. topic of conversation. Um, it really it did you of- feel like were you noticing it too? Um, I didn't really notice it at that point. I was like, no, like, it's not a big deal, you know, like I, it wasn't, to me, it wasn't dramatic. Um, but then once, you know, it, it became such a topic of conversation. And I think a lot of young women struggle, struggle with this issue is like, yeah, started to become really critical of it. I was like, oh, well, am I as skinny as when I got back from abroad and all this kind of mm-hmm. stuff, like these really, you know, just not good thoughts were coming in my head and I became really critical of it. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think that's just something like a lot of young women like struggle with and yeah, it's totally valid. And like, I think just like in society, like we're really faced with this ideal body that isn't always, right. you know, always healthy. And so that was something I really started to struggle with. 
And I think that really contributed to like a later diagnosis for me because I wasn't connected to my body. Like I was kind of just like had this totally different view of my body than what was reality. Um, So then once I got home for winter break, I started to notice my belly button was kind of funky. Like it kind of, what I thought it was, was just the belly button hernia. Um, It was just a little Mm. bit weird. Just I could tell a difference. And so I mentioned it to my mom and she was like, you know, let's just go in and get it checked out. Like Mm -hmm. just make sure kind of, you know, see what's wrong. So I go in to see a doctor. Um, They do a really, really quick exam. Like they were not thorough in any way. They did take a topical sample of the belly button just to see if it was maybe a topical infection. But like, you know, they didn't palpitate my abdomen, nothing like that. Like they just kind of That's so weird. Did they they didn't do like an ultrasound or anything? No. Like it was just very brash and very quick and they just didn't really take it very seriously. Um because like I'm young and healthy and I I was in great shape at that point. So they just weren't super worried. And so they took a topical um, sample and they're like, we'll have the results back in two days, but really we're just like not worried. It's not a big deal. And I was like, okay, perfect. Two days later, get the results. Not a big deal. They're like, oh, it's a simple topical infection. Here's an antibiotic. You'll be good to go in two weeks. I was like, oh, giving antibiotics. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Awesome. No stress. And so um, in those two weeks, I actually was back, like back at school back at school after two weeks um of antibiotics belly button completely not changed like and did it hurt or you could just like see that it looked different and it didn't hurt at that point like it didn't hurt like I don't it wasn't painful it was just different I don't know how Mm. to explain it. it wasn't painful and so I was like okay this is just annoying like you know I went to the doctor I already have like a little bit of anxiety going to the doctor which I think a lot of people do so I was just like, I just, this is, yeah, for sure. deal with this. And I'm also just frustrated because I feel like they didn't really even take me seriously or do a thorough exam really. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, so that was January ish. And then of course COVID hits and that just pushes it mm. further back. Like I didn't want to go to the doctor at that time. It was really, really scary. Um, and I was also finishing up my senior year of college. So I just had a lot of stuff. Oh Yeah. That, that was just, you know, like a tiny little belly button hernia. I was like, like, no worries. Like, okay, I'll get right. it. <laughs> yeah. You know. This is did you have thing. to, like, move home for COVID and that whole thing, um, too? Yeah, I did come home for a bit. And then I okay. ended up going back up to school just for, you know, to have, like, we did a virtual graduation and just to say goodbye oh, to nice. friends. So, yeah, it was really sad. and But then after all that, because we graduated in June because I was on the quarter system, then that was when I was like, okay, like, I'll get serious about getting this figured out, getting this taken care of. Like, I had researched, like, oh, it's a belly button hernia. It's going to be a surgery. So that wasn't something I wanted to put on my plate. As yeah. I was graduating, um, I had, like, landed this job that I was really stoked about. And so I was like, okay, I have this perfect window of time to get this figured out. I was about to move to Arizona, like, literally mm-hmm. two weeks before I went to my doctor's appointment. Wow. Um so yeah, so I go into my doctor's appointment, and it was July 5th, I remember, because it was like the day after 4th of July, and I go in, because my mom had really pushed me at this point, because at that point, mm-hmm. I, that, toward the end of college, like, toward the end of graduation, that was when I could tell my weight had dropped, like, none okay. of my fit, like, oh, yeah, that's scary, yeah, so I was like, okay, 
now I'm starting to notice it. This is, you know, in my imagination. So that combined with like the unchanged belly button, my mom was like, you need to get into the doctor. Like, yeah, you need to get this figured out. Yeah. Was the belly button getting worse or like, did you have any other symptoms? Yeah. So I just, so other than that, like it was just typical what you would just expect, like any woman, you know, like I had some back pain. Like hormone stuff. Yeah, just yeah. Hormone. Like, and I was just like, oh, like this is just completely normal. Like not a big deal. And I, and at that point um, I had just completely stopped getting my period. Mm. And so, but my doctor said, oh, that's normal. Like your new birth control probably just stopped your period, whatever. Like I can't with like, <laughs> so frustrating. It's not normal. Yeah. And like, I'd become so thin that they're just like, there's so many different factors you know, don't really worry. And so yeah, at the point decided to go into the doctor, really take like, I was like going in with like, okay, you need to take me serious. This is like, obviously yeah, good. something important. And so go in, um, you know, get on the scale. And I like mentioned to the nurse that brings you in, I was like, Oh, you know, I have lost like probably 20 pounds by this point. Um, from the last oh, time. Wow. And so she just didn't really comment on that. And she's like, okay, so then she brings me into the exam room and I'm sitting there waiting. And then the female doctor comes in, my just normal primary physician. Um, mm-hmm. And she's like, okay, like what's going on? Kind of gave her the backstory, told her everything about the weight loss, the belly button, that it was just a topical infection, but like that I just really wanted to get this figured out and taken care of so that I didn't have anything um, else to worry about before I moved mm-hmm. to Arizona. She's like, okay, so she lays me back for like the physical exam and I could just instantly tell as soon as she saw my belly button like something changed yeah and so I was like okay that's weird like didn't get that reaction the last time I was at the doctor Mm -hmm. um and she wasn't there for that physical exam that they did at that appointment so yeah so then you know she starts palpitating my abdomen just like feeling around and her face just gets more and more kind of worried scary yeah and a little bit pale and then she sits me up and she's like so um is there any chance you're pregnant (laughs) and I was like uh I mean no but like I don't know like yeah (laughs) I can't say absolutely no but I have no idea and so she's like so first we're gonna start with like a pregnancy test and then we'll figure out the results and then you'll just come back in so this point I was totally freaking out and my mom was in the waiting room because it was still COVID at this point she wasn't allowed to come back oh yeah my doctor could tell like I was about to like I was in panic freak out right yeah and she's like you know what like I'm gonna make an exception your mom's gonna be able to come back um and like hear the results and we'll get it figured out and I was like okay you know go back take the test come back in and it was like the rapid test so she was gonna have it like within 10 minutes Mm -hmm. my mom's sitting in there she's like what's going on like kind of worried I was like I don't know I just did a pregnancy test she was she had a really weird look on her face when she saw my belly button I really don't know at this point so then she comes back in and she's just like stoic and she's like okay so the pregnancy test was negative and at that point I was like okay I got then anything else I don't really care yeah (laughs) that's the biggest problem in the world to me at that point yeah Uh, and then I kind of, so at that point, I was like, you know, when you kind of check out of a conversation, you're like, everything else 100%. is not a big deal. And so then I hear her just literally use the word cancer. And so then I was like, wait, wow. me. like, what are you talking about? 
Um, and she's like, yeah, you know, upon the physical exam, I felt some masses in your abdomen. Oh. Um, and this is probably cancer. And she literally just said it just like that. Wow. Which, until, oh you know, talking to other survivors, like, you don't really drop the word cancer until you have, like, at least a biopsy or a CT scan. Yeah. So they just have that word dropped, like, on both of us at that moment before there was really anything to ground that in. That was just kind of... Right. This was just shocking. shocking. Yeah. So we leave that appointment, go through, you know, the ultrasound, CT scan in the next few days, and mm-hmm. all of those results were not good. You know, the... Um, ultrasound showed like there's even some masses around the periphery of my liver Um, oh wow yeah the ct scan was like literally my abdomen was just laden with cancer like wow every doctor I saw was like we don't know how you're walking like we don't understand how you're just oh my gosh living life like doing your normal things like I was so active like I ran like two to four miles a day this was not in impairing me in any way like it was completely normal the only thing was that is so crazy right like the only reason I went it was because of my belly button so that's the craziest part about my whole yeah um and for a while I did say like oh I was so I was asymptomatic like no symptoms but then I as I became more educated on ovarian cancer it is actually just like such you know vague symptoms that most women would just yeah as hormonal changes that that's like why it is so deadly is because it's so easy to write off as something else. Um, And then at that point, it's already so progressed that that's what leads to, you know, not as good prognosis. And so, yeah. Yeah. So at that point went to my first surgeon Mm -hmm. and he was supposed to be, you know, the best surgeon in San Diego, Um, go to him. And he's, he was an older male and I could just immediately tell we were not going to vibe very Not well. clicking, yeah. <laughs> it was just the some of the comments he was making, like we were going through my CT scan, talking about the possible mm-hmm. surgery I was going to go through. He was like, I'm going to do everything I can to save at least one of your ovaries. And I was like, okay, you know, to me, having my own kids isn't something that I've always dreamt of, not something mm-hmm. I necessarily like absolutely need. Um, for me, I value like having a longer life considering I right. have cancer, like let's remove my ovaries. Um, right. So, and he was just like, you're not old enough to make that decision. Regret that Are way. you kidding? Yeah, that's literally what he said to me. Oh my God. And I was like, I'm 22. Yeah. You're not 15. Yeah. Even if you were like, it's your body. Exactly. And so that, that was wow. the moment I knew I was like, like I don't like this this person like we're not driving not yeah. going good, but obviously like everything else we had heard about him was amazing and he's the most gifted surgeon all this kind of stuff and so you know I had conversations with friends and family and they're like you can put bedside manner aside but like you want the best possible surgeon and so I was like okay yeah okay yeah. you know and so started with chemotherapy and so you know going to my first like um, appointment with my hematologist I remember saying to my mom because at this point too knowing the context like I'm 22 I felt like I was in kind of like the best shape of my life and I yeah. was to be launching like my career post-grad like, I was pretty I don't know how to explain it more like angry I was just like not that I was like oh this is unfair this happened to me 
I was more like, why does this happen to anyone? Like, this is terrible. Yeah. This is so unfair to anyone. This is like, right. You know, like it was kind of that anger. So frustrating. Me, right? Yeah. And you can be angry. Like, yeah, you know, you're allowed to like, be like, this fucking sucks. Why is this yeah. happening to me? Exactly. So I remember just looking at my mom and I was like, if they tell me I'm going to lose my hair, I'm not doing chemo. Mm. And my mom was like, okay, well, okay. I don't know how to respond to that. So we go through the thing. He's like, you know, you're going to lose all your hair. You're going to lose your eyebrows, your eyelashes, all this stuff. Um, mm. There's really no other option. This is the only chemotherapy for ovarian cancer. And so I left that appointment and I was like, are you kidding? I'm already like putting my entire life on hold. I have to, I'm facing like a bunch of chemotherapy and then this like insane surgery. Like yeah. losing my hair is just too far for me. That. Yeah. That was the I drew a line there and I was like I'm gonna find any possible way to save my hair I think that's one thing too to like talk more about which I know we do talk about it a lot on this podcast but like the hair loss it's not so much it's like the identity piece of it and then also like the afterwards you're like okay so you're gonna go like start this whole new life without any hair and like do you know what I mean it's like yeah it sounds so vain but it's not it's just like yeah. yeah it's like unless, so you, I got it. unless you don't understand like how much else you're losing like that is right just, you know it's just can I just have one piece of myself through this entire thing right and so yeah so I just started googling I was like literally how can I save my hair like I don't care mm-hmm. I'll try anything at this point and I came across you know penguin cold caps mm-hmm. and I was like okay this is my only option and I'm just gonna at least try it out because I would at least want a chance even if mm-hmm. I lose some of my hair, most of my hair, like having some of it would feel better than having nothing to me mm-hmm. personally. So yeah, so I called called them and I got set up with a professional capper. And, you know, I it was during COVID. So no one was allowed to come in with me um, to chemo. So that was just gonna Oh be- my god. Yeah. How was your first one? Yeah. Like, what did you do to prepare by because you're just by yourself yeah it was so it was so hard luckily the good thing because I was capping I was with a medical professional like my professional Mm. capper was considered medical personnel so she was allowed to come with me um so that kind of made it somewhat bearable because she was like so awesome and she you know she really understood because she's involved with you know cancer patients so often like she knew the things to say she knew the things not to say very well versed in like how to talk and like get through a chemo session so honestly Mm -hmm. having her was really really nice um and I feel so lucky that like I was one of the only people in the center that was able to have someone with me so that was yeah that is nice but it was really hard like it just you know it would have been nice to have my mom or some of my friends in there with me absolutely yeah yeah I mean I just feel for everyone that had to go through this like during COVID it's just Mm -hmm. like so isolating and even in such an isolating situation, it just makes you feel even more isolated. But so yeah, having that, having my capper with me was amazing. And I had um, great results with capping. Like I lost maybe 5% of my hair. Yeah, you have beautiful hair. Yeah. Like I didn't, I was, because I remember us talking before and then in my Mm -hmm. head I was like, did she have chemo? Yeah. Like when (laughs) we first hopped on, because your hair Uh is gorgeous. Thank you. Um, Wow, yeah, that's so, so amazing. It was literally, and the best part too is my surgeon had told me to my face, he was like, there is no way 
you will save your hair. Like, <laughs> like you will lose everything. He was just like, so he's so negative. Yeah, he's so negative. And I was just like, okay. So like, I just remember the first appointment I had with him, like after two rounds of chemo, which after, usually after 14 days, you lose everything. So this was after like two full rounds. Yeah. And I was sitting in his like office just waiting for him. As soon as he walked in, I just like <laughs> my hair and I was like, you're like flipping your hair. <laughs> all this hair that I have. Um, <laughs> feeling. That was kind of my like, one up on him. Um, yeah. <laughs> but during chemo, I was just really, really, really sick. Like really mm. sick. Kind of even my hematologist was a little bit perplexed by my response um because obviously you know it's chemo it's, it's not a walk yeah. in the by any means but I was like on the bathroom floor for most nights like oh wow yeah. and for, so, and how long did you have to do treatment yeah. for so the plan was to do three rounds of chemo rounds every 21 days and then mm-hmm. see the response and then decide if we were going to go through with the debulking surgery or maybe do some more rounds of chemo so by the okay. second round, at that point, I was down to like 110 and just every, the smell of certain foods, like trying to eat anything was just like so hard. Yeah. Like that's the one thing during chemo that that was really getting to me. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I was like starting to get concerned because I was like, this is weird. Like I'm more sick than a normal response. And right. um, she lives like two streets away. She's a stage four breast cancer survivor. She even said, like, this is not normal. Yeah. It was checked That's out. scary. And it's scary because you were already thinner going into it. Mm-hmm. And then knowing how sick I was on top of that. Like, yeah. I feel like sometimes once you, you you know, like, get your diagnosis, you kind of, like, mm-hmm. start to let that impact you more. Like, you start to feel more sick in a weird way. Um, like, it gets in your head a little bit. Yeah, yeah. exactly. For sure. So, I don't know. So mm-hmm. after the second round was when I was, like, hey, like, I kind of want to do a CT scan now I just I feel like nothing's changing now that I know like you know the spots that you're feeling in my abdomen I don't feel like those are changing or shrinking and my surgeon just totally dismissed Mm. me and he was like no 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 we're not doing a CT scan until after the third round like there's no point you know there's usually not like a significant response till after three rounds so I just remember this conversation like with my grandma she was like do not do another round of chemo pain like do not like yeah you're gonna make it through and I was like wow I like have to like I don't have a choice you know my doctors won't listen to me and so I went through with that frustrating yeah so I went through with that third round and literally the night of my infusion I was just like like I almost had to go to the emergency room like my hematologist was telling me to go to the emergency room and I said we're doing a CT scan tomorrow like this isn't a question yeah we're doing a CT scan tomorrow um, and so somehow I got up, was able to get myself to the doctor with my mom's help, obviously. Um, mm-hmm. We go into the CT scan and, you know, in, within like four hours, we get the scan results and mm-hmm. my cancer was growing. Like it was not responding to chemo. Oh my gosh. And wow, so wow. I basically just went <laughs> through three rounds of chemo for, nothing. for literally no clinical benefit. Like basically wow. like made put myself in a worse position than before because it just had attacked any healthy cells that were in my body and just like made me so much weaker and by that point like you know that was the the last straw for me I was like we're changing doctors 
we're done with Good this for you. Yeah. Like, like I'm done. Like, yeah, this is the worst thing that's ever happened to me. Just terrible. And so at that point too, the biopsy results that we had gotten, because for ovarian cancer, there's multiple different types. And so at that mm-hmm. point, the biopsy said like high grade, which typically responds to chemo. And that's like the best course of action. But in the biopsy, they even noted high grade, but we did consider low grade for a time, but ended up going with high grade just because it was, you know, maybe the sample wasn't super accurate or something along those lines. So high grade response, you know, but low grade typically is chemo resistant. So if I had known that there was even wow. a chance of low grade, I probably would have pressed them harder. And, yeah. then, you know, let's like, let's do other tests. Let's make sure it's high grade before I go through three rounds of chemo. Um, So once I switched doctors, I found an amazing surgeon at UC San Diego. And he, I could immediately tell we just got along much better. Like he just had a very can-do attitude. Good. He was was just very trustworthy and like his bedside manner was amazing. Um, He really listened to like things that I wanted, things that I needed. And they ended up doing, they, UC San Diego tested my biopsy. And it came back as low grade. So, oh my god, yeah. that is so um, frustrating. Yeah, it was terrible. Um, figuring that out was just—it was another punch in the gut, you know. Just like yeah, because I mean, you can treat some low grade. It—it it is common to do some sort of chemotherapy with low grade. But yeah, if they had known that and I had that response, we wouldn't have continued with three rounds, most definitely. Right. Well, and it's like three months, and like, oh mm-hmm. my god. Yeah. And so luckily this new surgeon was amazing. I just remember I go to this appointment and every single appointment I go to I have I'm by myself completely. Yeah. And you know, walking me through the point like through the surgery that's gonna happen. So he's like, It's gonna be eight to ten hours, this is what we're doing, you know, all this stuff and he's tell- he's explaining to me the most insane surgery imaginable. Like he like they're removing ten organs, I'm probably taking some of your bowel, like all this stuff. And he's wow. explaining it like I can do this in my sleep. So right. I was so confident. I was like, okay, I trust you. You're yeah. talking about this like this is your, you know, hobby on the side of like this. Yeah. <laughs> I'm not super stressed, I guess. Yeah. But but he was just amazing, you know, made me feel very secure. Um, and so I just remember, you know, going in for that surgery. My mom wasn't allowed to come in, you know, with me to check in for the surgery. No oh my god, but- that is like gives yeah. me anxiety I cannot imagine yeah that was the worst part honestly of this whole thing like was just yeah you had to be by yourself totally by myself wow and just like going in like knowing I'm you know going in for a 10 hour surgery and then I'm probably going to be in the hospital for two weeks you know not allowed any visitors. like I cannot it, believe that yeah so it was not fun obviously and yeah so going in for that surgery I think that's when it really hit me, like, what was happening. Mm-hmm. I don't think until that morning I really realized, like, the severity of everything that I went through, like, what I was about to go through. And it just, like, really hit me when they were rolling me into the OR. And I heard them, you know, when they count, like, the medical tools? Yeah. The worst sound ever. Like, it's literally clanking medical right. tools. And I just remember that was just when I got so... Like, I just felt like a panic attack starting to happen. Like, I was just like, yeah, okay, this is like real. And the nurse that was rolling me in, he's just the nicest person ever. Like, I don't want to get emotional, but 
he was just amazing and he like held my hand and I could just feel tears you know like streaming down my face because they were about to like start the anesthesia and he was just talking me through it he's like everything's fine I'm here with you everything's gonna be okay when you wake up you're gonna be like she's able to be here so don't worry like everything's fine and like that was you know how I went under anesthesia so like having that person there was really awesome and like he kind of stepped into that role you know because he knew that right you know none of my family was able to be there with me so that was amazing yeah um then I woke up nurses are angels yeah right that was just you know I had had like a kind of at that point I was just like feeling a little bit pissed off towards some medical personnel I was like right this has kind of wronged me but that was just like the best you know thing that mm-hmm. I could that was the thing I really needed at that point mm-hmm. um, and so yeah woke up from surgery I'm in ICU I was supposed to be in ICU for seven days mm-hmm. um, and so I woke up and it was completely dark outside and I had started my surgery at 7 a.m and I was like okay mm-hmm. like this was supposed to be eight to ten hours like pitch black outside yeah um, I was also really like drugged out so like just from pain meds and all that stuff. And so I was like, okay, that's weird. And then I guess like when I woke up in the morning, that's when I learned um, my surgery was actually 14 hours. I had like, oh wow, I think four or five bags of blood. Like there was multiple times like during the surgery, like they didn't know if I was going to make it through. Um, Oh my gosh. And so of course my mom figures this all out. Like they, at UCSD, they like text you updates during the surgery. Like Oh, she's under. Oh my god! You know, we just administered another bag of blood. So my mom's sitting there thinking it's gonna be. What were the updates? Yeah, like, yeah, it was literally text updates. Like, oh you know, my god, received another bag of blood. She was administered. Blah 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 blah. So she's sitting there, you know, thinking, okay, ten hours at the most. Then right. Ten. She had already gotten text messages saying like three bags of blood have been have been administered. So then it's like hour ten, then thirty minutes past hour ten, and she's like, okay what's going on like this is a long time yeah. um she starts freaking out obviously and the nurse was like we have a lot it's a lot worse than we expected like it's gonna be a few more hours oh my god yeah oh my god. so but then of the surgery um because I had a team of doctors in there obviously mm-hmm. <laughs> I think there was like about five doctors in there um mm-hmm. they were really happy with the outcome like they're like we got everything um visible like obviously there's mm-hmm. always there's microscopic skulls left but they were super like excited about the outcome um they're like now it's she made it through the surgery but she has to make it through recovery like right yeah by any means she still has to survive you know the next few days and so my mom was like oh okay that's not a phone call that right (laughs) um so sitting in ICU and my mom was able to visit me for I think uh, in ICU, she was able to see me, but on the general floor, she wasn't able to see me. I'm not really sure why the okay. policy was that way. But so in ICU, she was able to see me. Um, and the first day I was in ICU, I was just like awake, coherent, doing really well. And they were like, well, mm-hmm. she doesn't need to be in ICU anymore. So I was in ICU, I think a little bit over 24 hours. And then they moved. Me oh, my gosh. Wow. Yeah, they were like shocked. They were like, how like, I was like, literally like, 24 hours after that surgery, I was, like, up texting my friends. Hey, like. That is great. I mean, that's amazing. Wow. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. So then that was the big surgery. 
you know, that recovery was really tough, but yeah. How was the, like, did you have to do physical therapy? Like what was that recovery mm-hmm. like? And isn't it like our bodies are crazy, right? Like literally crazy. That's everyone, wild. Everyone, yeah. my, friend, my friends sometimes, they call me the Hulk because the fact that I was just like <laughs> walking around with all that cancer in my body and just doing everything. And then yeah, I recovered. Like that's literally what, that's what a few of my friends refer to me as but yeah I love that it's it was a very crazy recovery for sure so yeah went up to general floor um and I had a a lot of stuff going like I mean my scars from like the tip of my sternum all the way down to my pelvic bone like Mm -hmm. it's a very big scar and they had to staple it that was just the most painful part is what I couldn't even sit up you know like Uh, yeah yeah could like bend your you know and so um every day they would give me different things this is your goal for today like let's get Mm -hmm. you in the chair and just getting out of my hospital bed to the chair would be like my goal for the day yeah just the surgery I went through was very very intense so um that was one of my goals for the day Mm -hmm. and then it slowly led up to like walking um but I was just recovering really Mm -hmm. fast and I was just really ready to get out of there. I couldn't see my mom. I couldn't see any Right. Mom. You were like determined. I was like, I, let's get out of here. Supposed to be there mm-hmm. for 14 days. On day five, I just remember, um, you know, the surgeons and their medical team like come around every at 5 a.m. every morning, which is a great way to wake up, you know. Yeah. <laughs> you survive the surgery. You're like, thanks for coming in at 5 a.m., Right, like <laughs> before, because you checked my blood twenty times, but yeah. Um, <laughs> so I just remember, like the fifth day, I just looked at my surgeon and I was like, "I'm getting out of here tomorrow," and he was like, "Okay." Um, <laughs> I don't know how to respond to that, but okay, we'll see if you can do that tomorrow. You have to walk ten laps, you have to eat a full meal, and keep it down, like all this different stuff. And I was like, "Okay, I'm gonna do it." So yeah, really on the sixth day. I walked 10 laps and I ate a full meal and that was like, get me home. Sign yeah, up. amazing. So yeah, literally out on day six, they, wow. were, they were shocked. But I, I think it was just, I was so determined to get out of there. And I was just like, I can relax at home much better. I think right. I was like, and like be taken care of by like your mom mm-hmm. and just exactly. be around people. Yeah. Be- love you. Yeah. So yeah, getting through that was really intense and the nurses were amazing obviously but mm-hmm. I just was ready to see yeah family members and 100% and be in my own bed you know and how did you deal with like friends visiting or family coming during COVID like were you guys nervous about mm-hmm. all of that yeah like being I mean being on chemo during COVID was terrifying because yeah you know, even on chemo you can like you can get really, really sick from just a common cold or just a... Yeah, your immune system is shot. So the fact that, like, COVID was added onto that definitely brought a lot of anxiety. Um, so every time I would see a family member or, like, a friend, we would wear masks full-time. Um, I would wear a double mask. And I honestly, I just felt so terrible during chemo. I really didn't see anyone besides yeah. my, and my mom, to be completely honest. But um, after I was off chemo... Um, I felt a little bit safer seeing people mm. still definitely wore masks the whole time. And we just had Germex constantly, like, on right. <laughs> but I mean, it was at that point, like, I needed to see people, I needed human interaction. 
absolutely. Yeah. I think that like the isolation piece yeah. can be just as bad almost as the physical side of things. hundred percent. So yeah, it was hard, but um, my friends were amazing. Um, <laughs> I have a really good close group of home friends. Like we've been friends mm-hmm. since high school and they were yeah. so supportive and amazing. And also their families too, because we're just all so close that I also yeah. know their families. And so like every day during chemo, like I'd wake up to something different at my door. One oh, of my that's friends, so sweet. Uh, mom, she makes like the best ice cream sandwiches. And so during oh my chemo, God, that's I'm amazing. Eating sweet food for some reason, like that was the one kind of food that didn't disgust me. And yeah. so I would wake up, you know, she made me like ice cream sandwiches and different little like sweet things that they'd leave. So that was really awesome. Oh. And actually, my funny cancer story is uh, <laughs> before my surgery, we decided to have a hysterectomy party, me and all my friends. <laughs> and so we kind of had like, we have, it was pink everything. They literally mm-hmm. made me a uterus pinata um, that like had pink candy. <laughs> like a whole, like, That's amazing. It was like a dark humor party for sure. Like it was. Yeah, you need that. This, but it was honestly so therapeutic to just kind of like not laugh about it, but laugh about it, you know? Yeah, you have to, like, you have to. Yeah, sometimes, you know? Exactly. So, I mean, that was just amazing having my friends there to support me. Um, Yeah. And I kept my diagnosis really, really private just because I wasn't really ready to share. Mm -hmm. I really didn't want to field the questions that you get every single day, like, oh, what's happening today? Or like, what's your stage or what's your prognosis? Right. The things I think some people, like for me personally, it was just the best thing I did for my mental health was keeping it private for a time until I felt ready and mm-hmm. able to have the answers. But I think the worst thing is like, especially at the very beginning, like you don't know, you don't know. Yeah, all so true. You, it's like, I, I don't know. Like I can't respond to 50 other people. Like I don't know the answer. Like I don't know what's going to happen. Yeah. So I think that was the best thing I could have done. Um, until I felt stronger and kind of knew what the path was going to be so I just think for certain people if people are listening like keeping it private is super valid and sometimes like yeah for your mental health 100% yeah I think that's a great point people are asking questions and you're right like you don't you really have no idea yeah so I think totally like if you're not willing to share yet I think that's a very valid decision totally um when did you like feel comfortable sharing and how did you do it I guess um so I went through that big surgery and then and then were you done sorry were you done after the surgery you had more chemo um no more chemo we like made it very apparent I was like I'm not doing any more chemo like sorry I yeah at this point too like after so much experience it had been like four months at that point. I had just so much experience. I just really gained confidence in myself and just like, had yeah. so much. I was just like, you know what? I'm taking control of my healthcare. Like, yeah, I'm, good for you. Know, you know, like what, what, to, not what to do, but you know what I'm saying? Like, I'm definitely, yeah, well, you know, your body. Yeah, weird. exactly. So um, at that point I was like, you know, no more chemo. We're done with yeah. that. Um, that's like absolute last resort. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I was scheduled for another surgery after that big surgery because they took part of my bowel. So I had mm-hmm. to get that like reconstructed. It was going to be just, I mean, really small in comparison to the surgery I had, but that was still on my docket. So but yeah, still a surgery. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so that was honestly probably the hardest part 
was that secondary surgery because, you know, going in, I didn't realize like how much PTSD I had from that hospital and just like my body was just like, we've been through enough. Like this is is (laughs) too far. Like, you know, we've kind of survived through this, but this is a little bit too much. So yeah, that was the hardest part. That secondary surgery, I was supposed to be out of the hospital in three days. And they were like, honestly, with how fast you recover, you're probably going to be out in half that. Um, Mm -hmm. But I think mentally, I wasn't ready for that surgery. Mm -hmm. And there's just so much anxiety and like anxiety affects your body so much more than you realize. And so I went into that surgery super anxious and just like really ready to get out of there. And I don't think I realized how much that was going to impact my recovery. And Mm -hmm. so, yeah, I had a really, really tough time that time. Like Mm -hmm. I, I have to be like, I have basically had to like relearn how to like eat and digest things. And so it just really wasn't going. I had to, there was, I think for three days I wasn't, I was like NPO. So I couldn't have anything. I was on a saline diet, literally, like I did not put like they couldn't even administer like I couldn't even take pills like they administered everything through IV. Um, Yeah. And so like, and my abdomen was just like a balloon. It was, it was terrible. Oh, oh my god, that sounds horrible. It was terrible. And then luckily, you know, they kind of made an exception. They're like, we'll let your mom come up. You've been through so much. Like, we're gonna let your mom come up. Yeah. Okay, that's gonna make me feel better. So she comes up everything's going good. They give me a anti-nausea pill. And I just start feeling my eyes rolling into the back of my head. Oh, no. And yeah. I'm sitting there and she's looking at me. And she's like, Are you okay? And my like start, you know, clenching my jaw, and just start having seizures. <sighs> like my mom has like hadn't seen me in three days. And she just like sees me start to have a seizure. Um, so that started oh my god, for like four hours, I was just like, having seizures and it's so the drug is compuzine which I think it's really important to get the word out there because there's actually another young ovarian cancer survivor that had the exact same reaction um and I really important to talk about because I guess when you have an immobile bowel it's something about the way that the drug is maybe administered or something like that you can't process it and I guess it's just like overstimulation something along those lines but yeah, so it's actually it's not a common thing, but I think it's something people should be aware of. So yeah, that's yeah. very because that's what they. I mean, that's what I took company yeah. the whole time. So exactly. so that's yeah, it's definitely something to be aware of and just like you know talk with your doctor about that. But yeah, so all happened. We got those under control. Obviously, didn't take any more Compuzine after that. Um, oh my god, Peyton, were you nervous about? Were you like, oh my god, am I? now I have seizures yeah like I was like it was like the feeling of like I'm never gonna be the same kind of right exactly like I'm never gonna get healthy I'll never have control of my eyes again like it was just so right like that was the most terrifying thing to happen because I was just like so scary and also just like the fact that of all times for my mom to be in the room like yeah you know she's already been so much through so much like for her to have to like see that and like, also, they just there was nothing that they could do. They kind of were just like, it just has to run its course. Like, there's not really, really anything that they could fix. It just oh my god, kind of process through her body. Yeah. So that that sucked. Obviously, um, that was terrifying, and yeah, that was not fun. But 
after that, I think having my mom there actually did help me in the long run for sure, because then I just felt like, okay, I can get through this. Um, and then I just started to get a little bit better after that. I was able to eat, um, mm-hmm. get through some things, and then I was able to be released. Also, that was the week of Christmas Eve. Like, I got released the day of Christmas Eve. Yeah, it was rough. Wow. It was a rough time. But um, Oh, my God. Yeah. <laughs> so then once I got released from that, I just was like, you know what? I really want to get telling people you know, about my diagnosis over with in 2020. I just want to leave everything terrible in 2020. So I think it was like the day before the new year. I literally just posted on Instagram. Mm -hmm. Just like posted a photo and I was like, I'm really sorry if this is the way you're finding this news out, but it it was the best thing for my mental health. This is what happened. This is what I was diagnosed with. I also included in there, you know, the thing about cold capping because I know a lot of people's parents other like family members maybe were going through a diagnosis or facing it and I think it's something I I'm really passionate about because it really did help me heal in the long mm-hmm. run um and so that I literally just posted it and I was like then I just put my phone away and like I got mm-hmm. so many nice messages and all of these great things came from it um and it really did feel like a relief to finally kind of like I didn't feel like I kind of felt like I was keeping a secret even yeah. though it wasn't like right I just felt like I had this like weight on my shoulders I wasn't being honest or I wasn't like sharing yeah. myself um and so uh, for a lot of people it just shocked them because like right they were like <laughs> some Hong Kong people like they had seen me walking the beach and they're like oh wow out of hair like they would have never known what I was going yeah. through um so yeah it was a really big relief to finally you know tell people but I'm yeah. really glad that I waited until I was mentally prepared, mentally ready to like talk about it mm-hmm. um, and had all the answers that I had at that point. So yeah, that was how I told people. It was probably a big shock to a lot of people. Yeah. But, um, and I kind of went from literally not talking about it to this being something I talk about constantly because it's just something right. a lot of people you need to be aware about. Um, so yeah, that's how I told people. <laughs> Yeah, that's what I was going to ask you if, like, if, like, kind of revealing it or whatever on Instagram (laughs) helped you also to, like, talk about it more publicly, too. For sure. I mean, I think that, like, the response I got from it, too, I don't know, I had this really, it sounds really stupid, but I had this really weird fear that because I did have my hair, like, Mm -hmm. people weren't going to believe me. I know that Mm -hmm. sounds really dumb but that's kind of how I know I think yeah I think well because you hear cancer and then you picture like really sick looking bald people exactly so and like the picture I posted you can definitely tell like I like my scars in it and everything but you can definitely yeah by the way you have a huge scar um on your stomach so you could you know show that (laughs) just like stuff like that like I don't know like you could tell in the photo if you really knew me that I looked very Mm -hmm. thick but I don't know. I just had a weird fear that people weren't going to believe me or like were going to think I was exaggerating, you know, mm, and things. Yeah. So I think a lot yeah. of people that way. I, I've talked to like a bunch of different survivors, especially young, younger survivors always have that. Right. Thing. Like, you know, like people just automatically think, oh, well, you're young. You don't have to worry. You're going to like live through it. Yeah. Like, no, that right. really wasn't the case. At the beginning, we really didn't know if I was going to like see Christmas. So, yeah. you know, like I think stuff like that is kind of what I had anxiety about. But I, the response I got was amazing. 
Um, and it actually like really pushed me to like continue sharing. Like I started a blog and kind of just posted mm -hmm. about like my experience, um, talking about different things I'm passionate about. And also just like, not even just cancer. I think just young adults really need to be more cognizant and proactive with their healthcare mm -hmm. in general. Like I wasn't really until this point and I like obviously wish I had been. And I think it's just yeah. like, even doctors, I was just dismissed because I was so young and healthy. Like, you know, yeah. and it's just like, I feel like doctors need to like realize that just because someone's young doesn't mean like they couldn't have a pretty, you know, severe, serious, yeah. <laughs> you know, right. So yeah, definitely. And I think, you know, my blog also helped me process some of the things I went through too. And like in a good way, it's been like very therapeutic to like write about it. And then talk sure, about yeah. other, you know, people who have been through a similar experience. It's been super, super helpful. And, oh, good. And I think the biggest thing too, like when I was going through everything, like with, when I was in the thick of it, like hearing other ovarian cancer survivor stories really helped me totally. and kind of yeah. helped me prepare like for what was next. So I just like hoped that like sharing my story would kind of be that for someone else too. And I'm sure, you know, it does already. Like, mm -hmm. I think that's, that's for sure. Like, that's what helped me the most too, just hearing other people yeah. and how they dealt with it. Exactly. So I love that. Yeah. Um, what is your blog called? Yeah. So it's, it's on Substack. And right now I have, it's just called subject to change. Um, so it's kind of, it's my thought process through that was basically like for many cancer survivors after your diagnosis, your life is just in this constant state of like subject to change. You get, yeah, news, but like, you know, it might change at any second past that point or, yeah. you know, and it's just like kind of, you're just living in a new reality. Everything is like, you know, subject to change, like, you know, so I think that was yeah. just that really resonated with me um, and something that I really talked about. Cause I think for healthy people reading my blog, it's really hard for them to understand. Like even my, some of my friends, like after my big surgery, they're like, Oh, you're cancer free. Like all good. Like everything's yeah. gonna be normal. You'll be back to, you know, doing what you're doing before. And it's like, like my lamp, my life has completely transformed from that point. It's 100%. never the same and I'll never get back to like, the person I was because of multiple things, yeah. good and bad. I think right. ultimately this was like a life lesson for me, but there's also certain things that like I'll never look at the same. Yeah. Yeah. One question that we got mm -hmm. was like, how do you feel different now compared to before, like the person you were before? Because yeah, there's no like going back to normal. Like that doesn't exist. Yeah. I think <laughs> – I think for like a lot of young adults too, like they might resonate with this. I think it's weird as a young adult with cancer because you're kind of burdened with something that usually only like people older are burdened with, which understanding like life is fleeting. It's not, you, mm -hmm. you know, the next day is not guaranteed. Um, and I think other young people like don't have to experience that. Um mm -hmm. And it's kind of just like this, there's a little bit of added pressure, I feel like, on my life now. I'm like, okay, I need to make this a meaningful day. I need to, like, do things <laughs> yeah. that are meaningful because I realize now that, you know, tomorrow is literally not guaranteed and I need to make every second count. But yeah. good and bad. So that's, like, a good thing and a bad thing in multiple ways. But I think that's kind of, like, my literal just 
outlook on life has really changed just Mm -hmm. because you just realize like especially in in a good way too because I realized things that used to really matter to me like especially in college little things would really get to me and I would let it just ruin Mm -hmm. my whole life and now I'm like that is literally so small in comparison to the other things I've dealt with like this is not something I need to really spend my time worrying about so that's like the point of it but yeah that's it's really just changed everything and every interaction I have. Yeah, 100%. Yeah, I think it's interesting, like, if I have something that's, like, really hard, you know, hard that I'm going through, and there's, like, other things that are annoying, and I find myself, you know, going back to, like, being frustrated, but then I always go, even, like, in workouts, and they're really hard. <laughs> Sometimes in my head, like, I beat cancer. Yeah. I can fucking do right? Exactly. I feel the same way. Yeah. Like, yeah, it's just like you're like, you know what, I can do anything. So mm-hmm. yeah. It's it's yeah. I love that. On everything. Yeah, it totally does. Um, I love that. Well, thank you, Payne, so much for sharing your story. I think it's like yeah. so important that especially young women just are aware and like advocate for their health and get checked regularly and just like are on top of things. If people want to like follow you or go to your blog, like where can they find it? I know you mentioned the name, but I wasn't sure if like what the website was. Mm-hmm. So yeah, my blog, my the my Instagram is probably the best way to just like see everything because um, I okay. have everything linked there. Um, and so yeah, that just has everything linked that I've like ever posted. If you ever want to look through my Instagram posts and stuff like that. Um, and I think one really important thing that I should share too, like it's yeah. in my blog post a ton, but I think especially if there's any like young women listening to this, your annual exams, like your OBGYN exams, like do not t- detect ovarian cancer. So you need to mm. request the CA-125 blood test. That is the only accurate exam right now to screen for ovarian cancer. It's super quick. It's literally like a quick blood test. It's not a big deal. And I really wish that I had known that, obviously. Um, yeah. You know, if you have a history of, like, cancer in your family, especially breast cancer or prostate mm-hmm. cancer on, like, your dad or an uncle or anything like that, you're actually at an, an increased risk for ovarian cancer. Um, mm-hmm. so that's, like, something to really consider doing at your next annual checkup and just, like, really talking with your doctor about that. And I think just palpitating your abdomen, too, because if they had checked um, my abdomen – at the first doctor's appointment, they would have felt, you know, my wow. umbilical mass. So just little things mm-hmm. like that, I think can like, is really important for like being proactive in your healthcare. And I just, yeah, really, you know, thank you. Cause I didn't know that either. So thank yeah. you for sharing that. Exactly. So yeah, blog is just linked in my Instagram and yeah, that's pretty, I just post on there. I don't have really a schedule. I kind of just post when it's on my, on my heart and then I just, Right, yeah. whatever I feel like that day. <laughs> Perfect. I love it. And what what is your Instagram? Just so people it, know. Yeah, it's Peyton, P-E-Y-T-O-N, and then the little underscore, and then A-D-A-M-S with two S's. So Peyton Adams with two S's. Perfect. Okay. Yeah. And I'll put that in the episode description as well. Someone can find you. Um, amazing. Thank you so much, Peyton. I really, really appreciate it. It was yeah. so good connecting and talking to you. Definitely. Thank you for having me. It was so fun. Good. Good. I'm so happy you could share your story. Thank you so much. We'll talk soon. Bye. Bye. (laughs) 
thanks so much for listening to Cancer Actually Fucking Sucks, the podcast where we get down to the nitty-gritty of what actually happens before, during, and after cancer. Hosted by me, Madison Pollock. Follow along for updates and guests on Facebook and Instagram at Cancer Actually Sucks Podcast.